Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back, and Martin's computer's going nuts, making a bunch of fucking noise, which means Martin is back this week. Welcome back, brother. Yeah, it's good to be back um, in our frigid Antarctic weather here. So, oh yeah, if you guys aren't around here in, in the in the Midwest, the the miggity miggity Midwest, it's been a polar vortex season so far. So last week we had a average of about negative ten degrees, so it was pretty awesome, pretty epic. Yeah, a wind chill of minus twenty seven. By the way. Yeah, we actually, I had to take a trailer out to a company that, or to a school that had a broken water main, and you should have seen, I, my butt was pinching nails, worried about that thing freezing up over, over the week. Oh, I suppose that thing stayed uh, stayed open? It stayed thawed. It's Ooh, got, it I mean, it's, it's got a winter package on it, and everything's got heat, and it's got heat tape, and heat lines, and all this other crap, but man, I was nervous. It was the first time it's been out in this cold of weather. Yeah. Oh, shit. Damn. What do you yeah. got? What do you got for for the for everybody for updates, man? Uh, one update. I think I brought uh, this kid up that um, every once in a while I, you know, I've been helping out for over a decade with the homeless in our our area, our county, and every once in a while, you know, I, there's just one kid that just kind of comes to attention, and um, there's this kid that I told you about that you know just I felt led to help and. I swear in my, my devotions and prayer time, it's like, you know, you ever get frustrated in your meditation or whatever you're doing and just say, God, what in the world? It's like I'm planting these seeds and I feel like I'm like spinning my wheels and doing nothing. And it was just, uh, happened today. I took my son out for lunch and this, this kid I hadn't seen in a while that, you know, we helped out over the summer. Um, all of a sudden we're eating there and I hear my name and it's this kid, he, comes out he's all cleaned up and uh yeah he said he's he's doing well he he cleaned up um he's been clean and sober and uh um 
got himself a job and was actually uh, there buying a meal with uh, his own cash. So it's uh, little things like that that, you know, kind of make it make it worthwhile, I guess. Yes. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about we talk about doing it for the sake of doing it, but there's nothing beats that feeling of when it when it comes back all the way back around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some days where you can get down on yourself and it's just like, you know, why the hell am I doing this? But. But, yeah, answer to prayers and all that good stuff. So how about you, man? Oh, just finally this weekend was the first weekend in about, I don't know, 12 weeks where I had nothing to do. So nothing really just to do. No, really just laid low. No no work, no extra work, no side work, no I had a trade show last weekend and it was just thing after thing after thing after thing and I was starting to get to the point where I was I was really run down and really ragged and finally this week like I took a few naps and slept in and it was it was good. It was needed. We had a little uh you take care of your uh, little girl, right? Yeah, so my kid, um <laughs> In kids' CrossFit class, she went to jump off a mat and start running, and her feet were moving, or her body was moving faster than her feet, and she tried catching herself when she fell and blew her elbow out the socket and dislocated it and saw it come out of out of socket and saw it go back in and Ooh. took her in. Yeah, oh, we got called down there, and she was white as a ghost. We get in there, and she's white, looks like she's going to throw up. She's crying and screaming and got her calmed down and finally took her in the next day to the, to the doctor and had him look at it. And sure enough, she, when it dislocated, it broke part of the humerus, um, which is the top bone of the arm. So she's all casted up, but she's honestly been since she got the cast, you know, I think she took Tylenol once for the pain, but other than that, she's just been a trooper. She's really just doing everything one handed. Like she's not really asking for help other than like opening stuff where you have to hold it with one hand and turn it open. Yeah. Everything else. Like her mother's like, Hey, you know, go get ready for school. And when you need help, let me know. And she just comes down ready. Like she's just kids are so malleable kids. They just, they adjust and they evolve and they, they, they just do what's gotta be done. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Pretty epic to see, but yeah. So taking care of her on that, but, after getting her in and getting her casted, there wasn't much left of of taking care of her. We all, I think, we all could learn from kids a little bit as to how easily adjusted they are to stuff like that. Yeah, well, they're less uh, mired in old habits. Yeah, and luckily, it is her her um, non dominant hand, so that helps. Oh, too. it is. Yeah. Oh, that so, helps a lot. Sometimes it's nice to have it go the opposite way because then all of a sudden they uh in. That's Make, how I learned how to be left-handed in a lot of things. Yeah, force you to be, yep. force you to use your non-dominant hand. Yeah. Oof. I became ambidextrous through that. Can and you then, really, can you like, can you throw a ball? Like really throw a ball with your left hand? Yeah. Because like I try to make myself and I look like an absolute no-no. Yeah, like it, I look like a dodo bird trying to throw a ball with my wrong hand. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it takes a lot of reps because, uh, and I had broken fingers as stitches in my dominant and I had to learn a lot of years to, uh, throw with my left and even learn how to bat left-handed and it takes a lot of reps granted yeah you just don't just do it yeah like I'm sitting there I remember we were, we were talking about this last summer and I was actually going through the movement so I would like do the first part yep. of the movement with my right and then I would try to do it with my left just like trying to yep. teach my body the movement off oh, it's it's difficult yeah it it clicks trust me it like all of a sudden clicks it makes you um appreciate watching a child to learn how to do something like learn how to throw a ball or learn how to bat or something like that. It really makes you appreciate like, Oh, they don't, they don't just, they're going to have to just try yep. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and their body will learn the mechanism. Yep. So it's that muscle memory is so true. You know, you're fighting that muscle memory and you can train it, but it just, yeah, it takes a lot of time and a lot of reps. So what, uh, what happened in Iowa last week? I didn't even see. Iowa? For the caucus. Well, basically, yeah, Trump uh, won that at 50% of the votes um, with uh, DeSantis at, I think, 20, 24, and then um, Haley at 21. So, and then Vivek, I think, yeah, had the remainder, and then Vivek uh, seceded and put his support behind Trump, and I believe DeSantis, whether it was yesterday or today, 
um, bowed out and put his support behind Trump too. So that's like what's fully happening, behind man. him. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, do you have? Do you follow Mad Attack? No, I don't know who that is. Oh, Mad Attack is this um, this Asian dude that has just really, really good reels. He just um, ex- explains a lot of what's going on and is very well researched. And he's been climbing the ranks. And uh, they invited him to be at that Trump rally. And he had tried to go to, I think, DeSantis' um, rally, and they kicked him out of there. And so um he kind of exposed DeSantis as um somebody that was basically just running just to take votes away from Trump and uh yeah it failed miserably so now you got DeSantis and his uh, shoe lifts are backing up Trump so this is going to be uh round 2 if uh, I don't know if Biden makes it but man lately he's been seriously going downhill dude so now will so basically, with with Vivek bowing out and DeSantis bowing out, now will that take them off the preliminaries on the rest of the states, or how does that um, work? Or they're just they're just saying they know that they're they're not going to get the vote, so don't vote for me, vote for him. Oh, uh, that's a good question, but it does take them out. I mean, basically, how DeSantis puts it is he's suspending his uh, presidential campaign. Oh, guessing until okay. you know, guessing until the next one, right? Okay, 2028, and Vivek is pretty much the same. Interesting. So, yeah, unless I heard it wrong, but I mean, that's basically been what's uh, floating through the news waves. Wow. But I don't know. I have a feeling that uh, the vice president, um, I think the strong candidate is going to be Vivek. I think Trump wants that young. Young, um, very articulate dude underneath him. Oh, my God. We don't need two of them. <laughs> two. Hey, would you put Vivek in the uh, Trump? Yeah, he's, that's who, when, he's, when he talks, that's who he's trying to be. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's trying to emulate Trump, trying to get yeah. the, Trump, the Trump voters to vote for him. That's how it yeah. was. You know, he may, maybe he'll... I think he's more researched and articulate. Maybe he'll adjust a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. less... Um, I think that he has to try to be like Trump, whereas Trump is just a troll, a king troll. Yeah. I think Trump, like the shit that comes out of Trump's mouth is like literally what's going on in his head. Yeah. And it just, and it just blurts out without any filter. Whereas I think Vivek was like channeling his inner Trump to try to become more like that. Yeah. So maybe if he is on the ticket with Trump, he can be a little bit more like himself and a little bit less trying. Yeah. I think Trump is more like a, he's just a punch back. He's a hammer looking for a nail to hit. And that's all it is. He's just waiting for, you know, people to say something about him. And then he just addresses it where I think Vivek is, you know, you can talk policy. Like I said, he's very, very articulate, um, a little bit cautious about him. But, you know, that's what, you know, this next few months is going to be is just feeling him out, weed him out. Well, when did the book come out? When did the Woke Inc. book come out? That's been years, right? That was like pre-COVID. I feel like. Was it pre-COVID? I believe it was pre-COVID. I would have to look it up and, and double check. Yeah, I'd say, I don't know. So it, the thing is, is a lot of what he talks about, he talked about in that book. So um, I wouldn't necessarily be too cautious. Just, I mean, yes, you, you always want to be cautious. But he's not playing some character now that he wasn't three to five years ago. He was yeah. still that person. It's just becoming more popular now. Because everything that he talked about in that book was very, you know, anti-woke establishment, um, you know, post-strong America, pro-strong America. So I feel like I have as much trust for him as I do for Donald Trump, I guess, is is the best the best way to put it. It's a good way of putting it. The best as much as much trust as I have in any politician. Right. Yeah. I mean, he came from that, you know, that pharmaceutical capitalist side. Then he. I think had a few turns in his life and then he wrote Woke Inc. And then now sitting where he's sitting. So August 17, 2021 is when this uh, came out. Okay. So a couple of years. Yeah. It definitely wasn't thinking of a presidential run when he wrote the book. I would, I would guess. Right. Is kind of where I was coming from. You know, like he wasn't playing a character when he wrote the book. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, I trying to f- see where RFK fits into the puzzle at this point i don't know 
So it's it's really hard to see somebody that's running third party that's going to make it. So yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I, where where are the where are the votes going to you know come out of? Left or right? So I think the RFK vote is going to come out of the center, but is it going to be center left or center right? I think it's going to be center left. You think so? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, you hope so. I like a lot of what he has to say and what he has to stand for. Um, but yeah, it's just he's just silenced. Yeah, he's so silenced. He's so he's so drawn it back. He's so just ignored by common media. You know, I mean, even podcast appearances of his are being pulled off YouTube. You know, yeah, yeah. And people that have him on a podcast are being threatened to take their um, content off YouTube. Which they're is they're de- weird. they're they're demonetizing people that have him on. Yeah, so what are they scared of? I mean, what is it exactly is he saying? You well, know? he 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 is he's anti um anti-vaccine. He's anti-vax. Um he's anti he, he he's kind of anti-big business to a point because he's an environmental lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know? So, he's not necessarily anti-capitalism, but he's anti-established capitalism. He's anti-unchecked capitalism. So when you think of the type of people who are spending money on ad revenue on YouTube and ad revenue on a lot of these sites, guess what? They're 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 the type of people that he wants to regulate. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Um gosh, what is one of the big things here? Let's talk about disease X real quick, huh? What is disease X? Is that Twitter? I <laughs> know. Um so Disease X is the uh, the World Health Organization is uh, throwing that name out there right now as this quote unknown pathogen that is uh, that could emerge here in the next you know few months. So prepare for the next pandemic is basically what they're saying, and media is starting to spin that news up. We've heard this so many times though since COVID. This is the next one that's coming. It's yes. just not. It's not going to happen. Nobody's going to roll over for it again. You fucked up and pushed it too far last time. Yeah. I mean, I hope so, but I don't know. Right now, it's after that last one. It's that cuff, cup half empty kind of kind of feeling because they're basically saying it's like uh, what, RSV. And RSV didn't catch on. So this is basically RSV with a different name on it. So I don't, in my opinion, we have a subsection of media that is completely bought and paid for and that subsection is just it's this it's this dying beast right and I know I talked about this probably two years ago on the podcast and it's this it's this dying beast making its last kind of last stitch effort to survive you know if you think of like an epic movie of a of a beast dying and it's like Mm -hmm. when it's just about to die it makes this last stitch effort you know with all of its energy that it has left and that's what we see from this subsect of our of our media that is it's it's dead you know you you've got major cable news that are getting lower ratings and lower viewership than the number 10 biggest podcast in the world and The fact is that their advertising dollars are getting cut thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. So what happens when you're when you're when you have a budget? That means that you need to start looking in other angles. And when you have a budget that you need to you need to fill with money, and then you have pharmaceutical companies and unscrupulous businesses that are like, "Hey, we'll pay you to push this. We'll pay you to push this. We will," you know, and and. it doesn't go like that. Somebody doesn't send an email. Hey, pretend that this is a new big yeah. deal and we'll pay you. That's not how it goes. But it goes, we have so much to spend in advertising dollars and we want to spend it with a news agency that is covering important things like this, right? It's all yeah. it's all under the table and and corner talks like that and you're going to see it and it's going to it's going to slowly fade into the mist and in 5 years we're going to go what what was that? Yeah. Who was talking about that stuff? Nobody cares. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, this is coming out of, you know, again, they met in Davos in uh, Switzerland. And, you know, basically you got the same nerd herd that basically sits there along with Mr. Schwab. And uh, they brought up disease X and they're basically telling people it's, quote, 
quote this hypothetical virus that's 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. That's still not that bad. Yeah, well, such a virus isn't known to currently exist. So it doesn't, supposedly doesn't exist, but they're proactively coming up with a plan of action to combat such a virus. Well, so did I send you the link to that, um, did I send you the link to that book about the, the, what do they call it, the economic hitman? Economic hitman? All right, I don't think I sent it to you. I sent it to a few people. Um, I have not dug into this yet, so you guys will hear about it after I dig into it. But there's a book written by uh, a gentleman who was paid by World Banks as an economic hitman. And what the whole idea is, is you go into these small countries and you manipulate their leadership to spend way more money than they have to get them completely overloaded with debt to the World Bank. So that then once they are completely overloaded with debt to the World Bank, the World Bank that can then manipulate their societies because they're owed so much money. And that's what these that's what these guys do. That that's what they're completely paid to do. So they go in and they start pushing these big infrastructure bills. They push this overspending. They push all of these oh, yeah. all of these all of these bills and government contracts and government mandates that spend way more money than what the government's bringing in so that they have a giant debt to the World Bank. And then when they have a giant debt to the World Bank, the people who own the debt are then the new leaders of the country, basically. The proxy leadership is what we would call it. And that's what we're seeing in countries like Denmark, where you have thousands and thousands and thousands of farmers bringing their tractors in to protest in the biggest cities in in the country because they're being told that they have to kill a third of their cattle because they're over they're they're over their their head limit because they're going to implement new head limits because of the gases that are off-gassed by cattle and <laughs> they're not able to plant certain amounts of their fields and there're all of these things that are being implemented by the World Economic Forum and the World Bank on these smaller countries because they have overloaded debt and the people are saying fuck you there are literally thousands of tractors driving down the interstates in these big cities. And if oh, you're not France, on social yeah. media, That's you're not amazing. seeing any of this. Yeah, it's uh gosh, that's amazing. All these tractors, uh yeah, they've been all these farmers are pushing back in France. Something to look up. It's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. But going on what you said, basically what the mainstream media is pushing is the quote experts from around the world have been working on a robust and effective plan to prepare for the worst case scenario. They say an early warning system and a plan for new health infrastructure, which was overburdened during the COVID-19 pandemic, leading to many deaths could help in that future scenario. So first of all, that, what you just said right there, not a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. The, the fact that we only make a tiny portion, if any, of the medication that we need to survive as a country in our country, maybe something we should look at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of this, a lot of this stuff are weaknesses that if you were, if you were put in the place of identifying the weaknesses in this system and fixing them, that would be part of what you're doing. Yeah. But what the, who is looking at is right here. These efforts include pandemic funding to help nations with resources, the MRNA vaccine technology to ensure vaccine equity for low-income nations and be the hub for pandemic and epidemic intelligence to improve collaborative surveillance between countries. Yeah, see, that that type of shit is, I mean, nearly laughable um, just because of how great the vaccine worked here. But, like, a lot of the other stuff, the the overrun on the medical system, the lack of supplies that we keep right. on hand, like that type of stuff, intelligent to look into yes and some better training especially you know people that go on respirators and understand what that does to you so you know it's i don't have a lot of trust um i'm following along with dana white is you know if you have a problem don't go to your doctor but you know don't take my word for it i guess well so some of the bullshit that i don't right you get you get people like dana white that go on social media and you get the gary breccas of the world and they start talking and everybody goes, oh, my God. But the realism, the realistic thing is, is if you listen to an actual 
medical professional break down some of the stuff that Gary Brecca and and Dana White talked about. Like it's just a lot of it's just inaccurate. So the problem with those guys is, is they speak in these amazing resolutes the way that the wizard does behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. And that's great, except for the reality of the situation is completely different. Um, but there is golden, there is nuggets in there of what they're talking about. Like when Gary Brecca talks about folic acid and a certain portion of the population, somewhere around 35 to 40 percent of people not having the proper um, ability to break folic acid into folate. That's real. But then some of the other shit that he talks about is completely false. So it. it, it you have to be able to knowledgeably research the type of stuff that you're worried about. Yeah. And I mean, the more studies that I get into is, you know, I think we're so far down the road as looking at, okay, we get something, we need something to treat it. Right. So we're always looking for the band aid to treat the symptom. You know, sickness is a symptom. Um, if your lifestyle sucks ass and you're not getting the nutrients you need, you're not staying healthy, you're not getting vitamin D, you're not getting sleep. The stuff we talk about all the time on here, there, there's a basic foundation. If you don't have a basic foundation of health, guess what? You're in trouble. And you can't look at a medication that's going to be the cure-all to save you. And, that, and that's the reality of what Dana White dealt with. Dana White was going to doctors, and they were putting him on prescription drugs to deal with his tinnitus and deal with his heart and to deal with his blood pressure, right? Yeah, But they were saying, yeah, it's fine to completely eat like shit. It's fine to live a stressful life, not to move your body and to drink all day, right? So the problem there is, is then you have somebody like Gary, Breck, Gary Brecka who comes in and says, all right, we're going to get you on this uh, ketogenic all meat diet. You're not going to be drinking alcohol. We're going to be make sure we're getting enough water in a day. And then we're going to do all these other hokey things. Well, the real the realistic thing is, is 95% of what made Dana White better is not eating junk food not drinking and moving his fucking body. That's 95% right. of what fixed Dana White. Right. And I mean, over the years and even now, um, my studies, it's just, you know, when my kids were sick, their bodies were looking for nutrients. They weren't looking for, you know, Robitussin. They weren't looking for, you know, something to um, suppress. Because so many things you see is like cough suppressants, Right. They're looking, their body is looking for the nutrients so that it can heal itself. The body's an amazing system. Um, you give it the chance and you give it the fuel, it'll heal itself. And the two podcasts that we did about the metabolism and the um, artificial sweeteners and the uh, artificial flavors and the nutrient um, fortified foods, mm -hmm. the biggest thing to take away from those episodes is when you are feeding your body the fortified foods and you're feeding your body the artificial flavors and artificial sweeteners, you are completely numbing that internal system that knows where to look for the right nutrients. Yeah. You're, you're basically taking and you're putting like beer goggles on that system. And it's just like, I don't know. I know what I need, but I don't know how to get it. And that is the biggest thing to take away from those two episodes that we did. Yep. Yeah, it's just figuring out. You got to do your research, you know, before you just uh, head to the ER every time there's a small problem. All right. So last week um, I, I recorded by myself because I didn't even set up enough time to get you on because I'm an asshole and I got busy. And I recorded the first half of this two-part episode about the book um, Do Hard Things. It's the Science of Resilience it's by Steve Magnus. And all last week's episode was kind of building building up this idea of the old school toughness versus versus the new idea of toughness and the true scientifically researched, knowledgeable, science-backed idea of what toughness really is. And we built it up with the ideas of kind of the Pete Carroll style of leadership and evolution of a human being versus the kind of old school, hard-headed, bulldoze your way through any problem type of coaching and yeah. leadership, right? And that gave the two difference in the ideas of what the old toughness versus what true toughness is. Mm -hmm. But we left off on how to actually, once, once, we, once we're completely convinced, okay, this new toughness is what true toughness is, 
Now, how do I develop that? And that's where we left off last week. So that's what I kind of built up into today's notes is the how to develop that true toughness. And I built it up with the backbone that Steve Magnus put together in the book of his pillars. And pillar one is ditch the facade and embrace reality. And the biggest thing that comes with that is to accept what you are capable of. of. Um, the idea here is we all have our own internal gauges and the internal gauges are kind of how we are, how we are going about us at a certain pursuit. So if you think about a, a distance runner and they go out let's say they have 20 miles to run or let, well, let's use a marathon, right? 26 miles to run. Okay. If they're on mile four and their body is, is feeling really, really good. And they're like, wow, this is really easy. Then they're probably going too slow right? Like their mm -hmm. pace is probably not where it really realistically could be. But if they're at mile four and they're like, holy shit, I'm winded. My legs are hurting. My calves hurt. My ankles hurt. I'm getting a cramp. They're probably, they're, they're pushing too fast for what they're going to be able to actually complete the race at. And they need to back off their pace. This is our internal regulation system. The old idea of toughness would say, quit being a pussy, keep running and make it through. But the reality is that these are our gauges and we need to listen to them. It doesn't mean that we need to make our next decision solely based on how we feel, but it means that we need to at least listen, create that distance in between the feeling and the thought process and then the action and then make an intelligent decision of what to do. Should we slow down? Should we keep going? Maybe I'll keep going for another mile and see how I feel in a mile and in a mile I'll slow down, right? This is intelligent toughness. And if it's too easy, whatever it is, if we are going about our work day and it's one o'clock and we've got everything done and we're like, well, my brain is just bored out of its mind, then you're not doing enough in a day. But if it's one o'clock and you're like, I have no fucking idea how I'm going to get done with this by the time I need to go home, then you are trying to shove too much into a day and you're probably going to miss things and you're probably going to do a shitty job, right? So these are all our internal regulators. This is accepting what you're capable of. The next step here is true confidence is quiet. Insecurity is loud. Um, that one we talked about last week. That is confidence comes from competence. Confidence, you'll, you know what you are capable of. You know what you can get done. You know that you are able to achieve this goal. And if you are being loud and boisterous and over the top, it's likely that that is an insecurity and you're trying to band-aid a lack of confidence. We're talking about quiet professional, right? The quiet professional, the, the Sigma male, right? Mm -hmm. Pillar two is uh, listen to your body. Uh, oh, this is the emotions are your messengers. That's really similar to the other one. Maybe I had this split up wrong. Um, but em emotions and feelings are just messengers to our system. We then take those messages and we decide what to, what to do further. So Steve uses the example of you're walking down an, a dark alley in an unknown part of town, right? If you put yourself in that situation and you start to think about the emotions and the feelings you have, your body might be on high alert. The hair on the back of your neck might be standing up. You might be looking around, noticing your surroundings a lot. These are all messengers. Does this mean you should stop and turn around? It doesn't necessarily mean you should stop and turn around, but it means that you need to take in everything that you see and then make an intelligent decision. Old school toughness is just ignore, ignore this. Just keep your head down and you'll get through it. Intelligent toughness or the, the true resilience is using these things positively, using them to alter your decision-making, using them as knowledge bits to make the intelligent decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, but an intelligent, what are you calling this? His, his idea is the, the intelligent new, toughness. new toughness, new, yeah. the new school toughness or re, uh, true resilience versus the old idea of toughness. People have to be proactively thinking because I don't know what I see. 
is a lot of what you see and people that go through, you know, military training is a lot, when it starts getting tough, whether it's emotionally, mentally, or physically, people will quit. They'll convince themselves to quit. So how do you create that intelligent toughness where you're evaluating and saying, okay, I need to slow down, but I can keep going. So the biggest thing that was hit last week was in that example that you're using right there, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know that when you get to that point, you are going to fall back to your lowest, your level of training, right? Mm-hmm. So what we learned through studying all these different ways of getting people ready for high stress situations yeah. is those skills need to be completely intact and mastered before you're ever in a high stress situation so that when you are in a high stress situation, these skills that, that I would have to call back on my notes last week, but there was specific, Mm -hmm. a a specific set of skills that was researched to show that that would set up the ability to call on yourself, make it through regroup and then get through the situation. If that is the smartest thing to do. You're talking about the breaking things down. Uh, it was like a, it was a whole s- set of of skills. Hold on. All right, I pulled my notes back up from last week. Um, the skills that need to be completely mastered before someone is put into a stressful situation are these core skills, these core performance skills. They include confidence, goal setting, att- attention control, arousal control, imagery. Self self talk, compartmentalization, and mental, and then the mental skills foundations. Yeah, and you know these being able to to control your arousal, being able to control your attention, and the self talk and the confidence. These are the things that when those skills are are mastered and implemented into the mind before put into a stressful situation, then that is the training that you fall back on, so that you are able to regroup and push through the difficult situations and not quit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yep. I just, I, I couldn't remember what the exact skills were. So I wanted to go back and get those out to help. Um, <clears throat> where are we at? Emotions. Emotions. Yes. The emotions that alert yourself. So that's the next part of that is own the voices in your head. And the weirdest thing here is, We've talked about NLP before, right? Neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. So we actually program ourselves with the way that we talk to ourselves in our head. And Steve gave two great examples of this in his, in his book. One of them was a captain and crew that were shipwrecked in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And they ended up on a six-foot um, raft with very minimal rations in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. and they fashioned some um, water collection devices that would create about a pint of water a day from just evaporation. And they had a little bit of food. So they knew that unless somebody randomly saw them in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, it was going to be at least a month and a half or two months before they made it to the Caribbean, just floating in the current. Yeah. And so they, they would, and he, he goes through this, this conversation between a crewman and the captain and the crewman freaking out because he needs water and he thinks he's dying. And the captain saying, you can drink as much of the tainted water as you want, but the clean water you get one pint a day. That's it. That's maximum. That will keep you alive. It's not going to keep you happy, but it will keep you alive. And that's all we can have. And the thing is, when Steve gets to the end of the story, it's from a book that a guy wrote who was stranded by himself, but he compartmentalized the voices in his head between the captain who was strong and able to stick to the to to what needed to happen to get them through to get him through yeah and then the crewmen that were these weak needing more type of voices right and so just that ability to compartmentalize and separate the voices and be able to say no you're not drinking more than a pint a day this is all you get it kept him alive for 72 days until he floated up to a caribbean island And the second example that he gives is there was these three groups of, I don't remember where this study came from, 
but there was these three groups of kindergartners that they put on this task. Okay. And so they bring them into this scientific laboratory and they say, we have this really important task that we need you to do. And this one, this one still gets me. I told like three people this, this study this week, the first, the task was super boring. It was literally like watch a computer screen. When you see a piece of cheese, hit the button, right? Super mundane. And they were told, we need you to do this for 10 minutes. When you need a brain break, there's an iPad over here that has some fun games on it. And, but try to do it for as long as you can in the 10 minutes. Okay. Group one was coached like this. When you start to get tired, tell yourself, I can do this. I have this. I got it. That was it. Okay. Group two was told when you start to get tired and you start to think that you need a break, say, use your name, say, Martin, you got this. Martin, you can do this. Martin, stay on task. Okay. Mm -hmm. Group three, the only difference was they were told when you start to get tired and you want to go to the iPad, use Call yourself by the name of your favorite superhero. So if you start to get tired, you say, hey, Batman, you got this. Batman, you can do it. Okay? Group one, who talked to themselves in the first person, stayed on task for 33% of the time. Group two, who talked to themselves in the, what was that, the third person? Right? When you're calling yourself by your name? Yeah. The third person stayed on task 45% of the time. And group three, who simply referred to themselves as their favorite superhero, stayed on task 67% of the time. Dang. So this is the idea of owning the voices in your head. If you learn to speak to yourself in the right way, then you are going to be steps ahead of the person who is either does not know how to speak to themselves or is letting the external world speak to them through their own voice. Yeah. That's the end of pillar two. Pillar pillar three is respond instead of react. So the first one is keep your mind steady. And with this one, a lot of what happens when we are in a difficult situation, when we are encountering adversity is this kind of wishy-washy back and forth. I don't know if I can do this. I might be able to do this. Well, maybe I should quit. I don't know if I can make it through. And it's all this, this, this unsteady mind. And if we are making goals, which this all, this all we talked about last week, but if we are making goals that are true to ourself, we are able to stay much more steady in our mind. We are able to say, I am going to do this. We are able to just buckle in and not second guess ourselves. But when it does get tough, because it always is going to get tougher, we have to realize that a majority of people, when they are not strong in their mind, do not only react to the adversity at hand, they react to the adversity at hand plus what that means for the future week, month, year, three years. So the way that Steve explains this is there were meditators and Buddhist monks and then normal people that they were putting this, I don't remember what they were doing. They were putting basically a hot rod on the back of their hand Hmm. and their brain chemicals were measured to see how much stress it induced, right? And Burning them or what? I don't remember if they were burning them or if it was just hot enough that it was like able to cause a stress reaction. And the thing is, is chemically, their stress reactions were exactly the same. But the way that they reported their mind handling the situation. Yeah. The people who were, had mind control because they were either meditators or they were Buddhists, which is basically meditators. They were able to feel the feeling, feel the stress, and then come out of it very quickly. Whereas the people who did not have the control of their own mind, they felt the stress and then the stress turned to the next thought and turned to the next thought and turned to the next thought, which I know my mind does. And I'm sure your mind does the same thing sometimes, right? Yeah. 
you're like out of control. Yeah. And then it's, it's Mm -hmm. the next thought and the next thought and the next thought and the next thought. And all of a sudden you've spiraled three fucking hundred yards down the rabbit hole. And you're like, wait, I just started here. That was the only thing that was causing me stress. And now I've got 30 things I'm thinking about causing me stress. And that's where, when we're able to, when we learn to control our mind through mindfulness meditation, through being able to create that space in our mind between thought and action, then we get better at being able to control that thought. That was pillar three. And then pillar four is transcend discomfort. <clears throat> um, he breaks this down into build the foundation to do hard things, uh, accept what you're capable of. We all have our own internal physical gauges to listen to. Um, in any physical or mental pursuit, we judge how the pursuit has gone so far and decide if it's easier or harder than what we expect. If it's easier, then we, this is a lot of the same stuff as the beginning. And then this is our internal governor, right? Our, yeah. our governor is what tells us this is, this is the most that we can put out. This, we're putting out our best effort. This is the most effort you can put out. The reality is that we all have more effort to put in. Because if we put in every single bit of effort that we had, if we used every single bit of energy that we have in our body, we would then die, right? Yeah. That's the reality. But how do you know how much to push? That's the thing. So that's where... You got a David Goggins on one end of the spectrum. Yep. And then you got the couch potato on the other. Yep. And that's where drive comes. If you are setting goals that are in line with your own personal interests, the closer, more true to yourself goals, then the drive is a lot easier, right? So the drive is what regulates how deep into that reserve tank you are willing to go. Hmm. The drive or the, it's on my next page. It's not even the drive that they, purpose, your drive or your purpose is what, regulates how deep into that reserve tank you go. So if you think about it like this, if you have your dog out on a walk on a hot day, right? Mm-hmm. Your dog is goes out and he runs and he starts to heat up and then he starts to slow down and his tongue starts hanging out and he's kind of down to like a slow walk or a slow trot. He's at the end of his regular fuel tank. He's still got a lot of reserve tank to go, right? Yeah. When he sees a squirrel, that's his purpose. That's his drive. All of a sudden, he's deep into that reserve tank, and he's running at full fucking bore after that squirrel. That is when we are going after goals that are true to our heart and true to our interest, then we are able to see that squirrel and drive deeper into our interest. But if I don't give a shit about basketball and I'm not competitive about the game that we're pushing in, then when I start to get tired, I'm not going to dig deeper into my reserve because I don't give a shit about basketball. I'm just playing a fun Sunday game, right? Yeah, that's true. I don't bring up basketball right now. Is, why, why? Is basketball bad? I don't even know. No, that's... Uh, I'm in a Bad News Bears, uh, bad second movie <laughs> coaching. <laughs> I got dragged into coaching basically uh, exactly that, the Bad News Bears number two. Oh, well, this is good. You should, you should Pete Carroll these kids. Pete Carroll? Yep. Pete Carroll these kids. Yep, you should Pete Carroll these kids. You know what Pete Carroll? You should, I know you gotta, Pete Carroll, but I don't know what you mean by Pete Carroll these kids. Support them. <laughs> Show them that they're, they're at a safe place and then help them be a little bit better each day. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's good to say that about uh, all, but probably child. Well, and you're gonna have those ones. Those yep. are the one, Those are the ones that need way more attention than you have to give because you're one human being, and there's what, fifteen other kids on the team. Uh, let's just say this. This is just a problem. So, <laughs> the bane of my coaching existence. But oh. anyway, all right, let's scrap that here. Build goals that are true to who you are. Your internal drive your internal drive aligns with your resilience. Control 
or external drive is fragile. So if you are driven internally um, because you are going after a adverse situation, whether it's climbing a mountain or whether it's building a business, if you are internally driven to be successful at that pursuit, that is much stronger than if it is just an external driver. You're scared of failure or you're doing it because your dad wants you to do it or you're doing it because a bunch of people suggested that you would be good at it. That's an external driver. Um, people that are, have an internal drive are better at re-engaging or goal shifting. The way that he explains re-engaging is, did you know that of all the deaths that happen in the death zone on Everest, 20, only 27% were on the ascent to the peak? The other 73% are on the descent. So these people were at a point where they needed to decide, am I going to keep going and get to the top? Or am I going to re-engage with a new goal of making it back to my family and getting to the bottom? And they said, nope, I'm going to keep going. They made the, what, what they thought was the hard decision, but really was the easy decision to keep going. And 73% of them died on the way down. Surprise. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Because they had enough energy to make it to the top. Yep. They're focused on one goal. Yep. And they're unable to adapt. They're unable to intelligently listen to their internal gauges and adapt to a new goal. Yeah. Yeah, that can be said about a lot of stuff. The tough choice here is to change the goal instead of blindly persisting. And that right there, that example, that that two seconds right there shows the difference between the old school idea of just bulldoze through toughness and the new school idea of intelligent resilience. Yeah. Gets, gets through that. Um, autonomous motivation. We talked about autonomy. Um, I mean, this, that's pretty much everything. This self-determination theory was one that, it takes a lot of explanation and doesn't really have a lot of validity. It ta it's basically like Maslow's hierarchy, but for performance and dealing with adversity and it's autonomy, competence and relatedness, which autonomy refers to the need for individuals to experience a sense of choice and control. Um, if you think about that, if you've ever been in a situation where you are stressed and it's difficult, but you have, you feel like you have no control yeah. It's a lot harder to just keep going and persisting than it is if you are you feel like you have control. Even if it's a little bit of control, if you feel like you have some control over the situation, yeah. it's a lot easier to keep yourself engaged. Um people are motivated when they perceive that their behavior is self-determined and aligned with their own values and interests. Yeah. And then um competence. Competence is the need to feel effective and capable in one's interactions with the environment. Individuals are motivated when they can develop and demonstrate their skills when they perceive that they are making progress and mastering challenges. I mean, we all know that when you are feeling successful, it is a lot easier to stay on task and to make it through hard things. And then relatedness. Relatedness is the need for meaningful connections and social interactions with others. I can do a lot of hard things by myself, but let me tell you how much easier it is to do hard things next to people that I know are also doing hard things. Yeah. That's just reality. I think that's true in the uh, trauma community because I think looking at the subject that we're talking about, it's sometimes it's hard for me to relate, um, you know, with people that are just haven't been through that trauma and have to like push, put that, do the hard things voluntarily. Like a lot of, uh, like you just said, in autonomy, there's a lot of people that I relate to really well that a lot of things have happened to them out of their control. You know, that's what happened kind of in my life. And you're just, you're forced now to fight or flight. And it's just, um, yeah, it goes back to that relatedness. It's, yeah, sometimes the, the trauma folks stick together and that's the best way to heal and get through. Well, and it really helps to see someone um, that, that has made it through because yeah. it proves to you that it's possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, life's a journey. Um, you know, I always look at it as a marathon. You're always looking for the people that are 
are running down that same path that you're running down. And those that have made it, those are the ones that, you know, can help you make it to the end. If you find yourself in some, some adverse situations, you find yourself in a, a challenging, you know, a competition, you find yourself trying to build a business and you are struggling, you find yourself, you know, hurting in a relationship, whatever, whatever this adverse situation is, a few, a few good steps is break hard things down into small pieces that you can manage. If you're running, you know, a marathon, you can manage the next half mile. You can manage the next mile. If you're trying to write a book, you can manage the next three chapters or the next three paragraphs and then celebrate those accomplishments and then stack your accomplishments. So break big, hard things down into small pieces. Um, manipulate your power of autonomy by giving yourself a choice. Uh, science has shown that if you are all or nothing, you're more likely to be nothing versus if you give yourself the ability to skip a day or two in the gym, right? I'd like to get there five days, but I'm going to hit a minimum of three. That's a lot more likely to be successful and to drive you to get there more often in a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day period. Then if you're then if you say I'm going five days, I'm going to hit five days, 100% going to hit five days. Cause the minute you miss one of those weeks, then you're like, well, fuck, I didn't hit five days. Right. Yeah. This yeah. works with cheat days. This works with whatever research shows that things like this result in better adherence. If it's all or nothing, it's usually nothing. Like I said, having options, you can choose to keep going or not to, you know, this is the rep that builds true strength. Um, oh, I love this one. Flip the script. So Steve Magnus is, is, is a running coach and was an Olympic runner. That's where he, that's where he started digging into this true resilience because when you're running, that is, you know, running is one of those things where you need to be mentally tough to keep going because you're going to hurt, you know? And he had this one girl that he was coaching who no matter what, whenever she was getting ready for a big race within the last five minutes of coming up to the start line, she'd puke. It was just, it, it was her thing. She would start to get sick and she would have to puke because of the stress, because of the, the jitters, the butterflies, whatever it was. Right. And so he flipped the script on her. He was saying, all right, this is when you're going to do your warm up. This is when you're going to do your stretch. When do you want me to schedule your puke? And she's like, what? He's like, you're going to puke. So when do you want me to schedule your puke? She's like, um, I guess right after I'm done stretching, he's like, all right. So right after you're done stretching, she got done stretching and he walks up. He's like, all right, time to puke. She's like, well, I don't have to just flipping the script and putting that on the schedule completely took it out of her mind's even manipulation of the, of the situation. So flipping the script and putting your insecurities on blast. If you are scared shitless to stand in front of a room, then stand up. When you start talking at the beginning of your speech, say something effective. Well, if I don't pass out in the next three minutes, y'all are going to be lucky, right? Put your insecurities on blast, put them out there, shout them to the moon. Let everyone know exactly how you feel because you're, you're no longer keeping that scary shit inside anymore. Um, build a routine. Routine is huge. We talk about routine. We talk about habit. Habit is fucking 90% of your life. Um, listen to the inner voice. Don't ignore it and power through it, but listen to what it's saying and then overcome it. Because if you listen to what it's saying, a lot of times you are able to overcome the, 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 the problem that it's having and make it through the adversity rather than just ignoring it until it cripples you. And then respond to reality, not reality in all of its reverb. That's what I was talking about, about the spiraling mind. So that's pretty Hmm. much it. There you go. Oh, I got one more I got to talk about quick. Learned helplessness. And this one is wild. And you guys, I'm glad we're finishing up with this because I think everybody should take this story and think about it in all aspects of humanity. Okay, so this this research was done a long time ago. I don't think anybody would let them do this research now. But they took these dogs and they put them in a kennel with a floor that shocked them. Okay, half the dogs were able to push their face on a on a button on the wall and it would turn the shock off. So they were 
they could help themselves, right? It was learned help, but it was, they could help themselves. The other half of the dogs, the shock just happened. Nothing would turn it off. They learned to be helpless. They were going to get shocked. They were just going to have to deal with it and they were going to move on. All right. They then put these dogs in a split kennel where one side shocked you. There was a three inch tall board. And then on the other side, there was no shocking on the floor. All the dogs that were able to help themselves in the first study learned within the first few shocks that they could jump over the board and not get shocked. 70% of the dogs that were helpless in the first study just sat in the box and let themselves get shocked. And even the 30% that learned to jump over, learned that they could help themselves, didn't learn until the end of the experiment that they could even help themselves. The idea here, you can extrapolate this into all of humanity, that if you have been beat down and learned to be helpless, you are not even going to think of the possibilities to help yourself. Hmm. That's mindset. That's the mindset that we need to improve. If you have that mindset, we need to fix that mindset. If you're the guy that thinks, I've never been able to accomplish anything, why am I even going to try doing anything else? Then fuck you, we're going to fix that. Because you're just the dog that's sitting there three inches away from safety just letting the world shock you right in your balls. Wow. <laughs> Good story, man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, that one's wild. One time of learned helplessness, and they wouldn't even try to get out of a half of a kennel that was shocking them. No. Oh, speaks for a lot of people, though. All right. That's a wrap for this week. 